0: Welcome to episode 85 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and we have an amazing episode today all about I. IEEs. IEEs are Independent Educational Evaluations. And I have been on both sides of the table with IEEs. I have been a provider who did the testing and wrote up the report for an IEE. And I've also been the school-based therapist who received this information. Um, And it can be really, really overwhelming um, to get a report like this and to know how to embed that information into an IEP to help your school student in the public school environment. So today I have on the podcast, Amanda and Vicki from the Inclusive Education Project, which is a nonprofit organization that educates families on special education rights and connects qualifying California families with pro bono legal aid for special education and affirmative immigration support. Um, Amanda and Vicki are a wealth of information and they really talk us through what is an IEE. Um, It is a parent's right to get an IEE, but we talk about it from the provider standpoint and how the IEE can be helpful to the school team. So um, if you're a parent and you're like, what is an IEE? Um, If you're a provider and you're like, yeah, you know, my student actually just had an IEE or I had a student come in from another district with an IEE um, and I'm not sure how to make sense of this and how it kind of of flows into what we can offer students in a public school setting. This is a really, really great discussion about what an IE is, um, how we on both sides, it can be helpful. And obviously, obviously, we are all doing this work to help support our students. Let's dig right in to this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 85 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have an amazing Episode for you today. Um, we have with us Amanda and Vicky from the Inclusive Education Education Project. Thanks so much for joining us. It's amazing to have you on. Thank you for having us. We're happy Hi, to Rose. be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your your journeys into the field? I know I found out about you on Instagram. I think you maybe had some of my colleagues on your podcast, and I was like, "Oh, I've never heard of them before." Sounds like they're doing <laughs> really great work, and I, I'm very obsessed with podcasting now. So I'm glad that we've um, got to do a little bit of a, a podcast swap here today. But yeah, can you, can you tell us a little bit about you and your your kind of like what you're doing in the field and in, in that? Yeah, of course. So Vicki
1: and I are both attorneys, and um, we started out practicing um, in the area of special education or, you know, civil rights. And we quickly in our in our respective practices realized that there was kind of more work that needed to be done outside of just individual cases. You know, special education is very much individualized. Um, and that's kind of how the cases go. And so Widespread systemic change doesn't really happen from individual cases. And so we just felt like there was more that needed to be done to help families, especially given the fact that the majority of families just are not aware of what their legal rights are. Um, And so that was a big factor. And so we created the Inclusive Education Project, um, which is a nonprofit organization that does both pro bono legal aid, as well as education and awareness. So through our podcast and our social media, we try to really educate not only families, but everyone else in this village that supports um, children uh, with disabilities and particularly with regards to their education, but also as to how they grow and how they're you know gonna enter the world.
2: And then on a practical level, the Inclusive <laughs> Education Project, also um, provides free legal services or low bono services. So pro bono being free and low bono being flat rates for those parents that um, are just hitting a wall with a a school district or need that extra support. Um, So that ranges from us advocating at IEP meetings um, all the way up to filing uh, complaints against the school district. And we are licensed in California, although special education is a federal law Um, We have uh, affiliates in different um, and colleagues in different states um, Mm -hmm. if, if anybody were to reach out to us.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, it sounds like you're doing such great work. I know that I joined this organization called COPA, which yeah. is for advocates. We're, Advocate, mm-hmm. We're so. COPAs. Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> COPA members as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had um Robin Risigno on the podcast. I don't know if you know her. She's from yeah. Teach. Okay. She had a pretty intense TikTok following there, and I met her on TikTok. Funny because we like are very. She's very like floor time, and I'm very ABA. But we um she came on the podcast. I just I really like Robin, and um she talked about autism and girls because obviously she's an autistic female raising. An autistic child who's also a girl. Uh Um, So that's been a popular episode. But anyway, she was telling me about that organization because I know she does a lot of work. And so I joined it and I took like the rights law course. And um, actually, one time, yeah. yeah, one time before I even started my podcast, I thought about going. Back, although my husband made me promise I wouldn't I wouldn't go back to school after my BCBA. But um, he was, I was thinking about, I even got the paperwork, um, you know, about going back to, to be a special education lawyer. But, you know, then I, I started be like a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought about it. So started my own business. Instead, you definitely so.
1: have the background. You know, <laughs> special education law is so unique. Um, yeah. You know, when Vicki and I started out and we were a different firm, we would have to get together to talk about our experiences because no other attorney that we went to law school with understood, right? Cause it's not just about knowing what is the case law said, mm-hmm. what does the statute say? Mm-hmm. Because that's really not enough. It's so individualized. You need to know about ABA speech, OT, uh-huh. medical diagnoses. There's so much to it that, you know, part of the reason we, you know, selfishly started our podcast wasn't just to educate the others, but yeah. we are educated every day by our yeah. listeners like yourself, because, we are not speech therapists. We're not teachers. We're not, you know, I have a degree in child development, so there's a little bit of background there for me, but other than that, you know, we're attorneys first and we Mm -hmm. do our best and and Copa does a great job of, of helping get us in love. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much out there in the world of special education, which you can imagine makes it so much difficult for parents Mm -hmm. to navigate because there's so much out there that nobody knows everything.
0: Right, and I think that was hard for me because with my social media presence, not like you know, Mm -hmm. not like (laughs) killing it on social, but you know, I have Mm -hmm. about twenty thousand Instagram followers, so I get DMs from people literally all over the world. Like, can can you help me? That you know, this is my situation, and it's like I'm licensed in Ohio and Washington State, and then sometimes you know, if you live in another country. Chances are I could probably help you, but here in the States, right. you know, our licensures are very specific. So, you right. know, sometimes I do some advocacy work or IEP reviews and things like that. But it's just hard to not be able to help everybody that kind of reaches out, you know, for support. So I
2: really enjoyed Absolutely, that absolutely. And you know, special education law in the United States has only really been around since the 70s. So mm-hmm. I like to say it, it's still very much the Wild West. I mean, when you look <laughs> at contract law, I mean you're you're looking at hundreds of years. You know, we have yeah. English text of like fifteen, twenty. Like he gave the goat for this, you know. And it's right, just like I right. understand contracts, you know. It's like been yeah. around forever. But with special education, because of the individuality of right. the programs, the education really programs, we have thirteen eligibility categories right. right and then there's a catch-all one of other health impairment and then right. you know there's it's like uh, so many things so we really try to just break it down um for parents as best as we can and then you know if they need that extra support um you know there is a, a legal department branch of our of our nonprofit uh, oh. to, to help out yeah
0: that's really nice so how did you two meet then you t- were you guys we in met in law school Oh, you did school. okay yeah, we actually okay. studied
2: a, we studied abroad in Spain actually um, and that that's where because it's such a small group yeah um, because amanda was a year below me uh-huh. um and you kind of just stick with your class like as sure. you're going, right yeah. um but uh spain was where we really uh connected with each other and then yeah we always had kept in touch and we we thought oh 10 years down the line we'll we'll have our own law firm well we've had our law firm oh. now for eight years um but, <laughs> but we we both started it a, a year or two out of uh law school because we, we just had the it was the right opportunity um Mm-hmm. And we just saw the Supreme need. Court. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we
1: kind of wanted to do things differently than other sure. law firms. And not to say that there's a right and wrong mm-hmm. way. You know, right. there's attorneys out there that spend a lot of time getting good case law. So they go up to the Ninth mm-hmm. Circuit and they go up mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And that's important work. But it wasn't kind of the work that we were called to. We really right. felt like mm-hmm. the community that we were serving, um, mm-hmm. low income families, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. trying to help Mm-hmm. serve that need um, mm-hmm. was what we felt like and there's you know when parents come to us we say look your child could be in the system from 3 to 22 you're not mm-hmm. going to be even if you can afford mm-hmm. an attorney one year doesn't mean you can afford them every year right and you yeah. shouldn't have to get an attorney so right. if we can help build empowerment in parents and mm-hmm. give them the skills to advocate for their child some instances help connect the families in the school district to build better communication between them. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to serve them longer term
0: than yeah. any settlement we get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. No, it's, you're doing great work. It's very fascinating. Oh, um, thank you. And as a school base, so I've been on both sides. So today we're going to talk about IEEs, which I'm very excited yeah. about. Um, so I have actually been, I, I used to, until I started my practice, I worked for a non-public program and we okay. did IEEs. And so oh, right. I, yeah. have, I have been the private practitioner doing some of those right. autistic students. Right. Um, and then I've also been the school-based therapist, uh, you know, getting an IEE done. A student mm-hmm. has got one and I, I get it on my desk and you I review it. I yeah. review it. Um, and I always say, you know, I, I think it's just because I've always worked with autistic learners and I work with applied behavior analysis and work in these mm-hmm. non-public programs. But since I got into the field, you know, Twenty-four. I, I've been in meetings with with lawyers and with advocates, right, and I've right. had my data subpoenaed, and you know, like all the mm-hmm, things. And mm-hmm. I, I think some people can go through their whole career and maybe never experience these things. But right. this has just always been, um, you know, my reality. And so, as school-based therapists, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but I think we can ex- feel extremely. Um, Know overwhelmed by the fact that a student is getting an IEE or they're coming Mm -hmm. in with one, but Mm -hmm. I always try to tell people, like, this is great information, (laughs) like, you should really embrace this because, as a school based therapist, you have to see 50 some kids exactly Um, to to do the testing that is done in IEE. It's not that we can't do it in a school, it's just really disruptive to the whole therapeutic schedule, which is just really hard for everybody. So, yeah, um, so can you tell? our listeners, you know, um, what is an IEE so we can have kind of a working definition of it for this episode. Sure. Sure.
1: So typically an IEE or an, in, an independent educational evaluation is going to be one that an evaluation that's conducted by a qualified person. Um, so basically that qualified qualification depends on what area of need is assessed. Um, and that person is not employed by the school district that mm-hmm. serves the student. Um, a parent can request an IE, um, at district or public expense, um, at any time within r- a reasonable amount of time after a school district conducts an assessment, or in some instances fails to conduct an assessment in a specific area of need.
0: Okay. So that was going to be my question is if, you know, cause we do have parents that listen and also providers. So, you know, why does, why does a parent, request an IEE? What what are reasons why a parent would request that?
2: I want to take it back a little bit because there is federal law behind this. So I have it in front of me because I don't memorize the the law. It's 34 CFR and CFR is just code of federal regulations. 34 CFR section 300.502. This is actually details your right to an IEE. And so parents request it because it is a right of theirs that they can exercise Mm -hmm. in a couple different ways that like Amanda had already kind of alluded to right like one you know they did an evaluation and you did not agree with that evaluation right and so you're saying you know what I, I you know maybe it was missing So that's like one way. Right. Um, Maybe they evaluated your child and said they don't qualify for special education Mm -hmm. and you disagree. There always has to be a disagreement with whatever the district has done. Mm -hmm. So that is another instance. And then a a third instance um, is maybe they uh, failed to assess in an area of need. And so you, you know, they had the opportunity to. You know, maybe you told them to, and then they failed to. So those are the three um, times that a parent would disagree with whatever the district had done or failed to do, and then would say, "I would like for the district to pay." Somebody outside of the district to provide an independent evaluation in X, yeah. Y, and Z. Yeah.
1: And a specific example of that might be that the school district conducted a psychoeducational assessment um, and the parents alluded the, the district to an auditory processing need or a visual mm-hmm. processing need. Mm-hmm. And when the School psychologists conducted the assessment, no tests were done regarding auditory, visual processing, language processing, other you know, processing deficits Mm -hmm. to determine whether one, there is a deficit in one of these areas, and number two, are there strengths in one of the other processing areas which would help aid in figuring out how Mm -hmm. to best support the deficit um, that is there? And assessment comes down and they looked at attention and they looked at behavior, but no processing tests were conducted. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, the team and the parents don't have full information mm-hmm. about that child's needs. So it it's, it sometimes is as simple as my child needs a speech and ther- therapy assessment and the school district didn't do it as part of their initial or their cycle led. Mm-hmm. So we want an IEE in speech, but sometimes it's, more nuanced than that, it mm-hmm. is that there are areas of need within mm-hmm. um, a psychoed, or let's say the speech and language assessment was conducted and only articulation tests were conducted because okay. the student has a speech delay um, for articulation, but the language component was missing. We didn't look at, is there any language processing mm-hmm. um, disorder there? and we didn't do any tests so mm-hmm. we kind of look at it from both perspectives, either an entire area is missing or um and then kind of that last thing that Vicki alluded to was if there's just this agreement so if the results of the assessment are in dispute so the parents does not believe that it was a true accurate reflection of the students abilities mm-hmm. um or um, they don't agree with the analysis so maybe they say yes there's low scores that we believe are accurate um, in certain areas, but the team's analysis of those scores was that it didn't impact education, and and we as parents believe it actually does impact education. So we want someone else to look at this.
0: Yeah. So that's a good, you know, because as a speech, so the ones that I was involved in, I'm thinking as getting the report and also doing the testing, mm-hmm. there were multiple team members doing testing. So it was like a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, our psychologist. Mm -hmm. Is that what you see? Is that more common to have um, multiple disciplines doing testing in multiple areas? Or do you find that it's more nuanced where you're just testing one area for the IEE?
2: What have you seen? I mean, yes and, yeah, yes and no. I mean, it it really just depends on what's happening with, with the kiddo. You could have a complete disagreement because they did not qualify your child for an IEP. Mm -hmm. And so you would need to have independent evaluations in all the areas, right. um, To, to make that determination by an independent person. Um, And, uh, or, you know, I just, the other day, you know, we had requested uh, an IE in the area of speech and language only, right. Because that was one of the one of the areas that the parent had disagreed with the evaluation completed by the school
1: mm-hmm. okay okay yeah <laughs> and, in, and it really it really varies like we do see it all across the board um, certainly when we're looking at um like maybe a disagreement with placement um mm-hmm. especially with like initial assessments mm-hmm. we might say with an initial assessment if there's a disagreement we want an id in all areas because with that initial, we're talking about eligibility and we really do need to make sure we have a comprehensive view, but you know, Mm -hmm. there are occasions where the, the school psychologist conducted maybe a very comprehensive assessment, but the speech assessment was not as thorough or vice versa. Um, you know, I see some school districts that it's very common for triennial IEPs, So the Mm -hmm. IEP that we do every three years, the assessment that's done every three years Mm -hmm. that, that sometimes is a record review that teams believe, well, we're just going to look back at prior testing. We don't think there's anything new, Mm -hmm. so we're not going to conduct any standardized tests. We're just going to kind of look at where the student is now versus Mm -hmm. where they were. Mm -hmm. That's not appropriate under the law. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times when we're asking for IEs, that's why, Mm -hmm. um, we just didn't have a comprehensive assessment across the board. So we're asking for all areas. Um, you know, so so that really does vary. And, and, you know, like I said, sometimes it's the disagreement on the analysis, sometimes it's disagreement mm-hmm. on the actual tests, you know, parents aren't doing their own standardized tests themselves. So right. it's not like they're coming back and said, I did this standardized test and I got a different mm-hmm. result. Mm-hmm. It, right. Or a less like, mm-hmm. and when we talk to parents about whether or not we should get an IEE, what it bottles down to is we say, what is it that you're looking for? Right. Is it that desire to get an IE truly comes from, you don't believe this was a true estimate of their abilities and you don't know what they need. So we need an IE to really dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it that, you feel that the recommendations in the IEP, you don't agree with. And so you want an expert to come in and make a different kind of analysis on their needs. Um, and, and so that sometimes depends because Not that the testing was bad or that the testing was done incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, We're getting some families now that are concerned that some testing in the last few years was done with masks. And so how does the, you know, I'm putting my hand over my face, right? How does that impact, <laughs> yes. you know, how right. a, a student gives an answer um, yeah. or even feels during the testing, right? So sure. that sometimes is the reason why we might challenge the assessment, but a lot of times we're looking at, you know, what's in there. And so do we ask for an IEE because we truly need more information or, or is the parent asking for the IEE because they are disagreeing with the results in terms of yeah. how the IEP is developed? And right. sometimes... If we're looking at the results, then it may actually be more beneficial to go to the IEP team and say, let's talk about this more Mm -hmm. rather than going Mm -hmm. through extensive more testing because that Mm -hmm. testing itself wasn't necessarily bad. Right. Um, you know, so that's kind of at the root of, I think a lot of parents are told this is your right. So we automatically make that request, but let's go back to why are we, why are we concerned?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good, good point, you know? Um, and so that, so what it sounds like is, you know, it sounds like most parents that I would imagine are requesting IEE probably are working with some type of legal counsel, because I feel like some parents don't know what an IEE right. is, they wouldn't know right. that that's their right. So, right. so they request it. Um, the IEE takes t- you know. And you're right; like it, you're saying, like maybe the testing wasn't bad. Maybe it's the analysis. Maybe it's the recommendations. Because when we think about it, it's like this is the client. This is our student that's going to go through all this mm-hmm. other testing, right? Mm-hmm. It's extremely mm-hmm. rigorous. The testing mm-hmm. um, yeah. for IEEs and, it takes a lot of time.
2: Yeah, and th- that's why really only two things can happen. Once a parent makes that request, the district is either going to pay for the IEE, right? Or they are going to file a due process hearing complaint against the parent Mm. so that they can prove that their own assessment was appropriate and appropriates the buzzword there. right? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when you're kind of, yeah. So when you're kind of thinking about these things, there's several other issues that come up. Mm-hmm. Maybe they come to you and they go, oh, you know what? Uh, you're right. We, 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 can, we can do that um, additional testing. Let's say it was an area that they didn't do. Right. Maybe they tell you, oh, you know, um, we can do it and we have to be able to do it. No, you already had your shot. So if the parent mm-hmm. feels strongly enough, are you going to do it? Or are you going to file against me? Like that is really the only two options, but we've seen that where they go, Oh, we'll get another speech and language pathologist that works in the district. That's at a different school. Mm. And Now, that might be something that you're willing to engage in. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, I think parents don't know they're right. So they don't know that they can say no, right? So then they say yes. And then we're like, why'd you say yes? And they're like, because I didn't know. And the thought of a school suing you, nobody wants that, right? right? So, you know, it's one of those things where parents may agree to something. And I've seen it go in a positive way. Like maybe that other speech and language pathologist was announced. You know, it was somebody not at that school. Right. And that's all they needed. You know, a different analysis. Sometimes of a fresh look at a child can help. Helps. For sure. Well, and I think too,
0: there's so many... um, I mean, there's so many emotions involved (laughs) in all of these things, right? Because Mm -hmm. I mean, I've actually never been in the position as a school-based therapist that a family of mine has requested an IEE. I have been in the position where I have a kid coming in from out of district or a kid coming Mm -hmm. in from a different district and an IEE has been done. And And, and and so for me, I'm feeling light emotionally because I'm not feeling like my testing wasn't good enough because we can... Can say whatever we want to or say. Like you're does. being
2: attacked, right? right. Like you do, you feel, do. Like, you feel, feel like, like you're being front. attacked. Yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. you're not
0: doing good enough. And mm-hmm. in, in the public schools, that's really hard because you have to serve everybody, and you know you're right. not going to get along with everybody, and that's just the truth of it. That, yeah. Um, Yeah. So I have really found the IES. I mean, for me, it's helpful because the testing is so comprehensive that mm-hmm. I can then you know right. analyze maybe my own testing, my observation of the student, I can put all those things together to create a really nice plan. So what 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 are some of the benefits for school teams when this IEE gets completed? Um, you know, when they get the report, what can be the benefit for that learner in that least restrictive environment of a public school? I
1: I think you have the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, partially because of time constraints, right? The amount mm-hmm. of time that the school psychologist has to conduct an assessment. Um, but also, you know, a lot of school psychologists, their qualifications are different than that of some of the IE assessors. Most mm-hmm. of the time when we get IEs for our clients, we're getting neuropsychologists, we're getting clinical psychologists, mm-hmm. and and it has, doesn't say anything necessarily about the school psychologist who maybe mm-hmm. only has a master's degree, mm-hmm. but their expertise is different. So a neuropsychologist is going to look more in comprehensively on areas of processing, Mm -hmm. of neurodevelopment, they're gonna look deeper and have the ability to analyze across um, disciplines. So most neuropsychologists can look at the speech assessment, looking at language processing, can look at the OT assessment and look at sensory processing, can do some of those tests, can really look at the crossover between these disciplines and not only where there are deficits, but how best to paid these deficits in the classroom, whereas a school psychologist might be looking at one area Mm -hmm, um, in mm -hmm. isolation. And so that's where we go back to a lot of the times when we find a need for an IEE. It's not that the school district's assessment was bad in any way. And we try to clarify that. It's like, (laughs) look, you just didn't dive deep enough into how these disciplines each other and impact each other. And as a result, what is the recommendation to the IEP team? And sometimes that's what we're looking for. And that I think is helpful to an IEP team because maybe, yeah, you didn't have the ability to do that. Um, Maybe as a school psychologist, you were told by administrators that you have to do only these tests. You know, you have to do the Woodcock Johnson. You can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. You have to do, um, you know, certain Uh, rating scales versus other standardized tests, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think there is a system in place with most districts that this is the way we do assessments and it doesn't leave as much room for, you know what? I did this one test and I see that there's, oh, there's just something more going on and Mm -hmm. I need to do other testing, but I'm not allowed to. So I think that that benefit is really worth it's always going to be better to have more information than less information. Um, And certainly if you're, you did a very thorough assessment and, the parents are, are just nitpicking because sometimes that happens, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. And it's not to say that they're bad for doing that. It's just they want the best for their child, and, right? And, and I think
2: having someone like yourself as a speech and language pathologist and having that attitude and that perspective shift is vital because once that IEE, if it is completed at public expense, um, typically a school district will want to hold an IEP meeting. And right. they, under the law, merely have to consider it in mm-hmm. in the child's IEP mm-hmm. that does not mean that all any and all recommendations made by the independent evaluator must now be part of the IEP. sometimes we wish that but, <laughs> right. um, you know this is us thinking in a positive way that the independent person will have found something the district missed but mm-hmm. there are times when an yeah. independent person, Agrees right on with the district. Yeah. You know, right, yeah. so if they decided to take away 30 minutes of speech and language, we, we wouldn't want that, you know, mm-hmm. so it cuts both ways. Right. Um, and I think that that's something really important that parents need to understand as well is that it is independent. So right. the person that they are trying to service is the child, not the district <laughs> right. and not, not the, the parent. parent. Right. Um, and that is the testament of a true independent evaluator. Yeah
1: and i think in circumstances where maybe we have some communication issues between parents and the school team mm-hmm. and maybe there's some bad blood maybe there's some distrust having mm-hmm. that person that's independent come mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. can help bridge that as well and not not just that but also let's say you're in a small school district where mm-hmm. you don't have all these service providers and you need someone who has more qualification just because mm-hmm. you're a one or mm-hmm. two school school district mm-hmm. that can be helpful but also Therapist has been working with a child for a while or a behavior specialist been working for a child for a while. And they're really struggling to make progress because maybe there's not good rapport between that person and the child. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. not to any fault of that service provider, but, you know, rapport matters. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that impacts testing. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the environment that the testing is done in, because the testing Mm -hmm. is done in the school setting and the child has Mm -hmm. so much anxiety about school, Mm -hmm. having the testing done in an Mm -hmm. outside environment Mm -hmm. with someone else that maybe they can build rapport. That isn't someone that, okay, has been telling me what to do constantly mm-hmm. for four <laughs> years, right? It's someone right, who right. I just met and they're letting me play with these toys mm-hmm. I have great mm-hmm. before, right? Mm-hmm. So right. there's so many reasons why not just it's a good idea, but it can sometimes just give us a, a, a new, fresh um, perspective on it yeah. because we can become clouded and like, well, this student has always had issues with attention. So right. <laughs> because I was always told it was attention because they have a diagnosis of ADHD, but someone fresh comes in without, like some of these assessors will do their assessments before they even read any records of the student. Mm. student. Mm-hmm. Um, And can come with that first perspective of that's not ADHD. That's a sensory processing deficit. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had that where Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. diagnosis are even challenged. And not to say that they're necessarily diagnosing, but looking at it from that perspective that they're not automatically being like, well, these behavioral problems are attention. Not that Mm -hmm. the student doesn't understand because they have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. we don't we often and even us as attorneys, like we can have a case. Years and parents can be looking at things from one one, one lens, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because they were told my child has this diagnosis of ADHD and they're not going to look at other things. They're just going to always say, well, they're always going to have attention problems and unless I medicate them, but can we look at it from a different lens? And that sometimes is really Mm -hmm. what we see as the most Mm -hmm. beneficial part Mm -hmm. of the IV.
0: Have you found so the neuropsychologists or the people that are doing the IEEs? I'm just curious in your area, do those people go into the schools to complete like an observation piece or are yeah. they just doing? They yes. do. Okay. No, yeah, yeah.
2: And a lot of times we have licensed educational psychologists, they uh, have that credentialing because they did work in a school district at least right. for one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that person is easier for a district to, to swallow their recommendations right. simply because they have like working knowledge because some neurologists, um, or neuropsychoanalysts, um, or psychologists, varying different names, just like everything in special education <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. Um, they, uh, sometimes the recommendations are more medically based and that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the impact in the classroom settings. So a licensed psychologist, um, a licensed educational psychologist more often than not is able to write the report in a way that, mm-hmm. uh, again, is easily digestible yeah. for a school district so that they can say, okay, we're going to implement right. X, Y, and Z and right. the IAP. Yeah,
1: And I think that just depends on what it is you're, you're looking to find out more information of. Mm-hmm. Is it that there's underlying deficits that we just have no idea, mm-hmm. like, are there processing deficits? Or is the question about the antecedents of behavior that are happening mm-hmm. in the classroom that aren't happening at home, then of course, you need someone who's looking at it from the classroom lens. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a time and a place to think for all different qualifications. And, you know, there's a number of students that we get who are very high functioning. They're in general education Mm -hmm. and they don't have a specific diagnosis of anything. They don't have a diagnosis Mm -hmm. of autism. They don't have a diagnosis Mm -hmm. of down syndrome. And we're not, we're not really sure why this child is struggling. And Mm -hmm. the school district comes in and does their initial assessment. Maybe they're in fourth grade and they're Mm -hmm. failing and no one really knows why, why is Mm -hmm. this student having such a challenge? Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe they're not even failing. They're getting like C's, but the family knows they're so bright. Mm. they we've always gotten A's but all of a sudden they're getting C's. And the school team says they're doing well enough. They're doing right. well enough. Yeah. But this family thinks there's something more going on. Well, maybe the school psychologist does surface level testing and says, well, their mm-hmm. cognitive abilities, their functionality, everything seems fine. But reality is their IQ is so high that they're compensating. And so they're doing just okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But a neuropsychologist or a clinical psychologist might come in and dig a little deeper in the processing areas or even, you know, language. And that's where we might find more information that isn't necessarily about what they're doing in the classroom, but their actual, like, Um, neurodevelopment and how their brain operates. And that gives us more information as to how best they learn. Um, I've had some students that then get diagnosed with dyslexia or they get Mm. diagnosed with a central auditory processing disorder that was never challenged because in the classroom they can hear, right? There's Mm. never been a time where the student has said to the teacher, I can't hear you, Mm. but the way that they process information auditorily is what is the challenge. And because Mm. instruction was always provided verbally that <laughs> child isn't taking what they've learned and what they've heard and processing it to apply it to their work. But that needs the, that you needed to deeper to even know that that's, that's the case, right? right. That, um, needs to be done by an audiologist that most districts don't have an audiologist on staff. So was that even part of the initial assessment? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to look at all these factors in, do we need an IE and what IE is needed sometimes, um,
0: yeah. Too. Yeah. That's a good point. We do. My district does have an audiologist one day a week. It's a very small mm-hmm. district, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. it's, I mean, I think what you're talking about is just really analyzing. So, you know, this such good information. So if you're, if you're listening and you're a school-based professional, don't be afraid of the IEE. It can Absolutely. be your friend. It can be 100%. your friend. percent yeah. Right. To help you um, create a really robust intervention plan. So thanks for coming Absolutely. on. Um, where can of people course. find out
2: more about you and your work? they can go to our website, inclusiveeducationproject.org. That is where you can find our podcast as well. But our podcast is also available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, and those are really helpful uh, conversations that we have with like-minded people like yourself, um, where we do solo episodes about tips and tricks for IEPs. And um, I don't know, just have a good time on the podcast because uh, I think that information is easily digestible. And then um, if people, had any direct questions they can email us at admin at iepcalifornia.org.
1: then of course our social media accounts instagram and facebook Mm -hmm. are um, our primary accounts Um, Mm -hmm. we have a facebook group for our podcast listeners but we also Mm -hmm. do uh, weekly q a's um on our instagram stories um you know we're not your individual lawyers but we can certainly provide legal impact input um, we, you know, give you statutes information. We answer questions all the time about the difference between IEPs and 504 mm-hmm. plans. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we try to provide as much, um, uh, referral information as well to mm-hmm. families. We try to connect families to other resources that are out there as well. And that's primarily on our social media and that's our handle is inclusive education project. So real easy. Everything's the same.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to connect with both of you. Thanks, You're Rose. Very, very welcome. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.